I'm Maya Merriman. Um, I'm 16, and I started going to the Church of the Nazarene in 2010-ish. That's all kind of vague. I think I was seven. <laughs> um, and this is when the um, kitchen area was still used for um, children's church, so it's <laughs> it's been a while. Um, now, at first, you know, because I was seven, I wasn't too invested. I didn't really realize, like, oh, yes, God has this much power in my life. I was like, eh, yeah, I come here, and sometimes I bring snacks. Cool. Um, <laughs> so that went on for about two years, um, and then my dad got cancer in 2012. Um, I don't remember a lot of that, which I'm kind of surprised about, but um, when he found God, that... Um, he found God because of the cancer. He was so worried and stressed all the time. But when he found God, um, that kind of empowered me to search a little harder. Um, and I went to my first summer camp in 2015. And some people are like, summer camp, yeah, what a great fun way to spend your summer, you know? You go up and horse around with a bunch of other kids. But um, that was actually a really powerful thing for me because I had never really experienced that community before. So I think that was... Well, that was when I first found God. Um, it was just this crazy mountaintop experience. I finally realized what it was to be a Christian. Um, and ever since then, I've made an effort to come to church and be present in God like that. Um, and shortly after that, um, I started going to Wednesday night high school services. Um, and uh, those have been my smaller community that I've loved. They're my family. And each time I go, it really reminds me that um, I can help others and others are helping me and that God is just really there for me. And um, I volunteer in the youth, uh, in the children's church sometimes. I sing up here for you guys. And I really just, it's really been a positive influencing experience for such, for, I guess, me, a teenager who didn't really believe in got it first. So yeah, thank you guys. Good morning. <laughs> okay, one sec. I need to open this up. Okay, so, oh hi, I'm Taylor DeLang, by the way. <laughs> I'm 15, I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm reading my testimony to you guys. I probably won't look up a lot, and I'm sorry in advance. Okay, so my life has definitely been an interesting one, 15 years worth. Uh, it's been full of ups, downs, curves, and just full-blown crashes. So I guess I should probably start from some of the beginning. I've been going to church since just about my whole life, but I didn't start realizing how important it was until the relationship with God until my parents got divorced. My parents have been separated most of my life and it's never really been easy. I find myself getting caught in this wanting to please both of them, headspace, but knowing that I can't do that and end up disappointing one of them. My anxiety constantly told me that I wasn't good enough and that my parents got divorced and that they stopped loving me. This definitely brought a huge toll on my confidence, which is still working on to this day. I constantly feel like I'm not doing, I'm not doing as good as I should be or I struggle with self-esteem because I've never been felt like I've never been good enough for a reason to think otherwise. It's definitely something I work on every single day and is definitely something that has improved because of the help from the Lord. My mom has, def has done everything she possibly could to have given me and my siblings the best childhood possible. It definitely wasn't perfect, but it was good enough for me. I've gone through states where I find it hard to get out of bed and be productive and do something with my life. That's when I got diagnosed with depression and severe generalized anxiety. It was definitely a huge change in the way I acted and the way that I saw the world. 
One thing that I really feared was telling people, and that was because I was scared that they would judge me or think of me different, even if I was still the same person. I didn't want anyone to know that I just wasn't okay. But it got to the point where it was so bad that I thought hiding it got too hard. God has worked in my life in so many ways. For one, he gave me my siblings, who are the reason for the smile on my face a good portion of the time. They are the only people that know exactly what I was going through as a kid, and for that, I can say thank you. We definitely don't get along all of the time, but that is they always have my back, and I always have theirs. Two, with his help, my depression and anxiety has gotten so much better, and the weight of being carried on my shoulders every day got lifted a little bit more every day through his help. Because of the Lord, I've grown and become a better person, and because of him, I'm constantly growing and being better. Isn't that great? It's great to hear from Taylor and Maya today as folks for whom God's at work. Um, it's not easy getting up in front of here. You're very nice people, but you're intimidating. It's a big crowd. Uh, but thank you to both to Taylor and Maya for sharing your story. And it's just the beginning. Um, it's the beginning of what God can do. Thank you for sharing our vulnerabilities. Um, we're a better place to share the real stuff that's going on in our life. And uh, God is good. Amen. Um, well, I have issues, as you know. Uh, and you have issues too, it's fine, trust me, I know you a little bit. Um, one of my issues is I hate to waste time or feel unproductive. Um, you would say, one of the, like, you know, some of you do those, like, those strength surveys, like what you're good at and what you've been bad at. I'm sure at the bottom of my strengths is being patient. I'm not very patient. Um, and so God's at work in my life because I've got issues. Um, I, part of my life, I ended up in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I was in the, my Ph.D. program, um, but we needed to, to eat, and so I got a job at UPS. Um, and UPS is a great company um, it, uh, in Chicago. It, I had the privilege of getting up about 1.30. The, the mail's fine, too, Dan. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. You're okay. Good grief. So insecure. <laughs> anyway... I, this job, I was a preloader, uh, which meant I got about one, 1 o'clock in the morning every day. And I got to drive to work. Now, Chicago has, of course, awful traffic. Um, by the way, I never encourage you ever to move to Chicago. It's a terrible city. Don't live there. Um, it's fine if you want to, like, I won't say that phrase. Never mind. I'll stop. So, uh, it, it, Chicago is it's not bad, but you have to have, like, money to live there. We had no money. And so, uh, I got this job. It was, it was a good job. Um, but I had to get about 1 in the morning, sometimes 12.30, to get ready to do our, do our shift. And typically, Chicago has traffic everywhere, um, but actually, it's not too bad at 1 in the morning. Um, unfortunately, uh, they have in Chicago um, at least like what I call stupid lights, which means they're on a timer, which means that at 1.30 in the morning, I could be sitting in a light all by myself, waiting. Now, I have to confess, since we're in church, there were some mornings the wait was unbearable. And I said, I'm going. Oh, here we go. But, uh, well, there you go. I'll confess you in church. No one died. It's fine. We're fine. Um, one of the things I have to say uh, that maybe is a curse now is that um, with my little phone over there, uh, there's never wasted moments. Because whenever I'm waiting for someone, I can flip up my phone and start grading pa bad papers, right? It's great. I always like things have to be done. Sitting, sitting there doing nothing is a waste of time, isn't it? Or is it? Here's, here's something that is challenging for me, maybe for you. This is kind of my, my therapy session, sorry. Maybe you can relate. 
Um, if success is defined by getting things done, we often place more value on our doing rather than our being. The danger is I become valued to you not for who I am, but what I can do for you. One of the lessons that God has, is teaching me, and perhaps some of you with my issues similar to mine, is that you are way more important for who you are than what you do. And so the question is, sometimes we do things that might feel like a waste of time, but perhaps the most important things that we do. One of the things that my, my dad disciplined before me early on is he would read the Bible through every year. And, and it's a trait that I've learned to pick up on. You think, man, don't you, you've read it once. Well, why read it again? Right? You figured it out. Um, but it's this way of discipline before this time of devotion, of prayer and scripture reading that's been a great pattern for me. But prayer, prayer is tough. We mentioned it a little bit last week. Um, can prayer feel like we're wasting our time or is prayer doing something? Or what if I'm praying but nothing gets happening? Is that then a waste? One of my, I lived some of my life in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and we had a great church. Um, one of my friend's younger brothers, he was eight at the time, was diagnosed uh, with cancer. And as a church would do, we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we had this verse, right, from John 14, 13. And this is Jesus speaking. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, amen? amen. Yes, amen. But what we also have learned is that doesn't always mean you get, I get, we get what we asked for. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and Jonathan died of cancer as, nine, as a nine-year-old boy. And there was great heartache in our church. Well, we, I asked my young little theologian self, did we waste our time praying? Because clearly God didn't answer how we wanted to. This Bible verse, we're going to tear that out. That doesn't work anymore. And you guys know the complexities of the prayers that we have. And God is not simply there to be manipulated and doesn't always do things when and how we want it. So maybe prayer is a waste of time, maybe. I wonder if I think about the ways in which do I come to God in prayer just to get things that I want, like going to McDonald's or Wendy's and saying, like, God, I want these three things. And then, like, chip chop, and 80 seconds later, I want them there. I wonder sometimes if, and again, and it's important we say this, God wants us to bring our request before God. What I've also learned is that prayer isn't only about bringing our request. It's also being able to commune with God um, and to hear from him. Um, I wonder if there are other folks, maybe some of you, that felt like praying was a waste of time. You kept praying and things did not get better. One of the things that I constantly am reminded by, I'll remind us again this week, is thinking about our Gospel of Luke. Is as Luke is being written, the Christians are being slaughtered. Things are not going well. They're being tortured. They're being imprisoned. They're being intensely persecuted. All the while, they're writing these Gospels about the promises of God. Um, it's important to keep these two intentions. These these biblical writers weren't naive to hard times. To be honest, their times likely were more difficult than most of our times, to be honest. So what does it mean to have faith when things aren't 
always going how we'd want to. I invite you as you're able to stand. I'm going to read from our chapter today from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Um, let's say I'll read it from the Common English Bible. If it's different from yours, that's why. Um, Jesus has been giving lots of instructions for what it means to be a disciple. Um, but now, here's a text that Christ wants to encourage us in our praying. So pay attention especially to verse 1, but all the verses matter. So verse 1, chapter 18. Jesus was then telling them a parable about their, about their need to pray continuously and not to be discouraged. Kind of verse 1 is the point of the whole thing, if you get confused. So Jesus said, in a, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, Give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while, the judge, he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there'll be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly, but when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's a short uh, little parable. And you'll notice in our many of the parables that Luke tells, or Jesus tells um, in Luke, you have kind of two figures. You, of course, remember a few weeks ago, we had the rich man and Lazarus, Right? These two kind of figures, very different places in life. In today, in a similar story, we've got a judge and we've got a widow. And again, in that day, this judge had a great deal of power, not unlike today. Um, now, judges often would be elected or appointed, but often they would kind of get power and their verdict was their verdict. Um, the appeal process was different, um, but judges had a great deal of power. What we learn right away in this parable is this is not a good judge. This is a bad judge. And the good thing is you read this parable, is this judge knows it. I know I'm not a God-fearing. I, I know I'm bad, right? Then there's a widow. Uh, in that day and age, the reason why uh, the scriptures would say, in fact, we have it in um, Numbers, um, or Deuteronomy 24, 17, that God in the law gives instruction to judges to be especially kind and gracious and to take care of the widows. Because as was the case in the Old and New Testament, widows had very little power. They had very little one to defend themselves. They probably weren't going to beat you up if they got up, didn't get their way, right? Um, and what we also know is she kept coming, which also meant she probably was poor. Because as often was the case, um, you would bribe the judge. And it's likely she kept persisting the judge because she had no money to bribe him, right? And so again, we have a situation where there appears to be no possible solution for the good. We have a bad judge and a widow, and it appears in this story, this widow, um, something unjust has happened to her, and she's asking for a verdict. So she keeps coming over and over and over. Um, those of you who are parents know this. What are the parents, when you have many kids in the house, what's your number one objective? Right. You're not interested in justice, you want silence. <laughs> I don't care who did what, just be quiet. Right? But this widow 
kept persisting over and over and over. Um, similar, remember the story way back in Luke 8, that woman, that woman who was bleeding for 12 years, she went to the doctors, nothing could happen again. In that day and age, a very bold act for a woman to go and kind of reach out and touch Jesus' cloak to seek the healing. Remember, he, Jesus, the woman touched Jesus. Jesus said, someone, power went out of me. Who touched me? And the disciples were like, uh, everyone's been touching you. And they kind of have this story. In a similar way, this woman, in a sense that she had no authority, no rights, began to turn the table on this judge by her persistence. Um, but this widow, again, has no real shot at justice and for this judge. Kind of like, by the way, you'd be impressed, my Mariners have now set a new record. They are now the only team in the major leagues to never be the World Series. And so like this a woman getting justice, like the Mariners going to the World Series, it was not going to happen. <laughs> but Luke, surprise endings. Remember again for us, that rich man and Lazarus. We know, of course, the rich people, they're righteous. Lazarus, poor, he's going to end up in hell, the rich man in heaven. But Luke has a way of twisting some endings with Jesus' stories. And in this case, all of a sudden, this persistent widow, this person who had no power or authority, begins to turn the tables, and this judge begins to say, um, I've got to deal with her. She's embarrassing me. And so the power dynamics begin to switch. Um, the unjust judge begins to say, I've got to deal with her or it'll look bad upon me as a judge. And she, I want to get her and I want quiet, right? So what does this parable say to us about prayer? Remember the, the verse one says, this is why he tells the story. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. I think there is a, a kind of maybe a danger here that assumes if I keep praying over and over and over, if I get louder and louder and louder, then God will answer all my prayers. Well, by the way, unlike the unjust judge, God indeed wants to hear your prayers. Um, several verses over and over tell us, a great verse from Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God with prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. James, present your request to God. So whatever you hear this morning, make sure you hear, unlike the unjust judge, God wants to hear your pleas. Even the same thing over and over and over. I, have, uh, I had a friend uh, in my in a previous church I was pastoring, whom she had a son who had walked away from the faith. Um, early on and this mother was older and her son was older and she had kept praying over and over and over again um, when will my son come to faith and to be honest with you when I left the church her son still wasn't there but she said God had given her a peace to keep praying um, and some of you have those requests some of you have some stories of you kept praying and praying and praying and eventually God answered that prayer in a way you had hoped but others of us we keep praying, and those answers haven't yet come how we wanted. And it can feel like, are the prayers just simply going to the top of this room? But the unjust judge says, well, your God will listen to your prayers, and your justice will come quickly or with speed. 
I think the answer there is not simply that you'll get your answer right away. I know that's not the case. But what it says is when God acts, God will act swiftly. As we mentioned last week, praying is messy. Now, I will say this. You know, there are some prayers God will always answer and always pretty quickly. The prayer, God, please forgive my sins. God, help me. Um, there are some prayers God is eager to answer with swiftness. But I mentioned last week, sometimes, to be honest, our prayer life is more about things that matter. And we care about jobs, and we care about the cancer, and we care about all those things. But God also says, and what about what's going on? Is there jealousy in my heart? Or bitterness in my heart? Or there's anger in my heart? And, and again, we pray for all those things, but God says, and also pray for those things to which is part of the, the place of pain and hurt in your own life. One of the things, too, that I think, and I mentioned this before, I'll say it again, it's so important. Too often in the church, we have thought about folks coming to God for the ways in which they've done wrong. Like the Davids, they've hurt others. And we say, so all those of you who sinned today, confess your sins. And that is good and right. But one of the spaces the church needs to keep doing better. What about the people for whom have been the sinned against? Let me explain how this goes. Always tell the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah. In the Old Testament, remember that story? King David, when kings should be at war, David was not at war. And he came across and saw Bathsheba who was bathing. And David said, I want Bathsheba. He's the king. He had power. Takes her. They go together. Um, and all of a sudden, later on, we find out Bathsheba is now pregnant. Well, um, Uriah, the husband, was at war where husbands should be at that time. And so David said, this is going to be a mess. So get Uriah home. Give him some leave. And he and the wife can come together. That way the pregnancy will be solved. Hopefully they can't count the months very clearly. And it'll be fine. Well, Uriah comes home, says, hey, my uh, fellow soldiers are out in the field. I shouldn't be able to go home. And so he stays in the king's palace outside the courtyard, doesn't go home. Well, uh, that does not help David's problem. So he goes back. And then David tells his commander, he is Joab, I think. You look it up in the Bible somewhere. Um, he says, uh, when you go to war, put your riot at the front, then at a certain time, withdraw the line, and your riot will be killed. So all of a sudden, uh, well, again, later a report comes back, uh, kind of underhandedly, to give a report about the war, and by the way, your servant Uriah had died. Bathsheba uh, then has the faith, and really, Bathsheba in this story is really a victim here. She has no ability to say no to the king. Um, she then now is pregnant, realized her husband has died. It's, un it's unclear whether she knew David's role in that. Um, but all of a sudden, she's brought to the, callous, uh, the palace uh, to be with the, the king. Prophet Nathan comes along and says to David, um, tells him a little parable about sheep. And David, of course, gets enraged at this powerful person stealing from, stealing from this weaker farmer. And Nathan says, you are the man. So this great Psalm 51, I believe, 
Well, David cries out, confessing David's sin. And let's say that is a part of the gospel story, that all of those of us who have done wrong, that God can heal and forgive us. That's, and that's the central part of salvation. But here's the problem. Imagine you're Uriah and or Bathsheba. Number one, God allowed this act of murder and abuse to occur. Number one. And two, God's going to forgive the person who did it. Hello, this is a problem. Where do, where does, or where do the Uriah and Bathsheba's find salvation and healing in a system that's simply getting the guilty people forgiveness? In other words, where is the place of healing for the sinned against? One of the things in the church we have to create space for, how do we, and one of the categories, I mentioned this before, I'll say this also again. One of the prayers that often we have not allowed folks to pray in church and anywhere else is the prayer of lament. Laments are the largest category of songs in the Psalter, the big book in the middle. Right? God, you have failed us. Our enemies win. We feel like that might be illegal worship, but it's not. And sometimes in our prayers, if they're only about God, forget the things I've done. So what do victims often do? We know this. They often blame themselves. Well, it's clearly my fault, right? One of the things in the church we have to create space for is the, pay, the place of lament where victims can say, I have been hurt and wounded and abused. God didn't stop it, and my perpetrator has gotten off. Again, I will say this to us. Um, if we don't allow space for laments, our praise is a bit shallow. Laments are not simply pious whining. And if you feel like I'm breaking legal worship, don't forget who lamented on the cross, Jesus. Remember the fame, what's the famous psalm you all know? You know one of them. What psalm do you know? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that one. What, psalm, what number is that? 23. You know what Psalm 22 is? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is praying that psalm, lament on the cross. And so I would invite us as we think about this praying, that we come to God with our petitions and our needs. But we also, there's a space for those of you who have been sinned against to come and to cry out to God in your pain, in your hurt, in your anger, either at God or at somebody else. And God will hear your prayer. Here's the other thing I began to learn about praying. As much as God desires for us to present our petitions to God, I've also learned this. Prayer is about encountering God. Prayer isn't just about giving God my little list of requests from going to Wendy's. God, is there also in our prayer life time, do we listen? How do we allow for the silence, the wasted silence? One of the disciplines I've learned about worship that um, Protestants, uh, us people, we're not very good at, is we don't like silence.
know it, doesn't he? One of the things that God invites me, maybe this is not a crazy personality, is that I would sit and rest in God's silence. It doesn't mean I can't present my requests, but sometimes Brent sa God says to me, Brent, why don't you shut up for a little bit? And let's just be in each other's presence. One of the things that kept this a weird story to tell, my wife, before we started dating, she said, my wife was telling me this, I think as a clue, as we started, actually just started dating, she said, I want to be in a relationship where we can be in the same room and not have to always talk. So I was like, okay, I didn't say anything for half an hour. <laughs> but I think sometimes prayer is about being present to one another. And I would just say to us that God wants to hear all the things of our life that do matter. He's not like that judge. You're not annoying God. Remember the first verse, 18.1? He's telling you a, this parable, so you'll keep on praying and do not lose hope. Now, again, we're all, um, well, most of us, we're, we're growing up in the faith. We know that hope is not a guarantee. All the prayers we pray, God will answer when and how we want. We, do, we just sort of know that, right? It doesn't mean we should stop praying and asking God for exactly what we want. I think we can pray the prayer, your will be done. Awesome. But, Lord, I want your will to be for Jonathan not to die of cancer. And sometimes, friends, as you know, God answers those prayers not in the ways we would like. And that's the question. Do we still want to have hope? I had the privilege this past um, spring to go back to Phoenix and see some of my friends. I saw my, my friend Bonnie. It was her brother who had died. I saw she had another brother, uh, Jeremy, who was there, and her parents. And we just, uh, actually, one of my, tragically, we were there because my other friends uh, passed away. But we just had a quick moment to talk about Jonathan, um, again, who this, this brother and son who had died now probably 30 years ago, um, about what that pain was still there, to be honest, but how God had forged new futures. And friends, let's be clear, being a Christian does not mean things are always going to go how we want them to go. Our hope is a, not a naive, blissful, ignore pains of life. But the hope is this. God is hearing you, God is with you, and God will be present. And we will say this, and, and prayers can get answered in many ways. But along with the persistent praying, I hope you can also hear, even when it feels like there's no movement or action, that you are not alone. Do not lose hope. But I would say this, our hope isn't simply that our circumstances will go how we want them to go. Our hope is in that God is with us, and God loves us, and God believes in us. So we keep praying. Sometimes it can feel like a waste of time. But God is saying, I want to be with you. The other thing I'll say is this. As I've, as I've grown in my faith, God's asked me, Brent, I wonder if you'd pray some of the prayers that I want to pray. Do we, do we have, what, are, what are God's prayers for us? What is God wanting for us, for my life, for this church, for our city, for the world? How can we start praying some of God's prayers? And it's not that we ignore our needs. Um, but remember, praying is not informing God of things of which God was not aware. But God is, our prayers are kind of a trust and a cry and a pain of lament sometimes too. The last verse of, of verse 8 is a little bit weird. Keep praying, have hope. 
And then he, what does he say in verse 8? This weird little thing at the end. Um, but when the human one, Jesus, comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? Interesting question there. To be faithful is not that you tell God what God wants to hear. To be faithful is, are we invited into places of hope and trust? Even in the midst of being angry at God and saying, God, I want to still trust you. Psalm 22, if you read all of it, it begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends up with that psalmist saying, but yet I will trust in you. Sometimes our trust is not because the circumstance is going how we want it. But the good news is this. Even as this life might not go how we want, this life is not the end. Jesus cried out and Jesus died. But three days later, resurrection life came about. And we do know this. That while we hope and pray for things to happen and change on this earth and that this earth is good, sometimes it won't happen until the next life, but our hope is in this life is not it. So, what's your hope meter like today? Have you wasted time recently sitting in God's presence? Perhaps praying for something you've been praying for a long time. And this parable says God is hearing you and listening and wants you to know God believes in you and God will hear. And God can act. Not always in how and when we want it, but know that you're loved. Let's stand and pray. Gracious God, we thank you this day for this parable. Lord, I know in the sound of my voice here, there are many folks who give testimony of times in our life when we were broken and in pain. Any of our folks up here, Taylor's story, where things were bad and we prayed and you answered. And Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, I also know there are folks here today who have things in their life that have not gone well or that aren't going well. And they've been praying and praying and praying and it feels like nothing is happening. Lord, today you invite us to have hope that you are hearing and that you will move. And Lord, I pray even today in this new idea that we would, for some of us, Lord, who have been the sinned against, we would find the place to cry out to you in our anger and pain for your failure to act and to let your son who died in that cross, his presence, enter into our pain to know we're not suffering alone. Lord, we know that prayers are messy. Lord, there's a danger. I sometimes treat prayer like going to Wendy's, like a short order list of things I want and expect, and I don't always create space to listen to you to pray the prayers you're praying. Lord, I pray today that folks here would recognize the power of prayer, not simply in getting things, not only in getting things that we want, but it would shape us and challenge us. And that, Lord, we would sense in those times of prayer your presence is molding and shaping us to better be your people on earth. Lord, may we live to leave today with hope that you invite us to pray and invite us to live into that prayer. Then may we pray your kingdom will come more fully each day. So Lord, for the, the answers to prayer, we give you thanks. For the places of, pray, of pain, we pray for your comfort. 
But Lord, we pray that we would not lose hope, but trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing. Thanks, Jordan and, the, and teens for leading us today in worship. Hasn't been great. Um, they are the church today leading us. We see this benediction. May you go out as people with hope to love and care for those as we are being helped by God. Go in peace and grace today. Amen.